Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. It's been a little over a month since the new Israeli government, headed by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and Foreign Minister and Alternate Prime Minister Yair Lapid, took office. So, while we don't want to make any sweeping or premature judgments, it seems like it's an appropriate time for a performance assessment. How is the new government doing? Fortunately, Israel Policy Forum's Israel fellow Nimrod Novik has a new piece in Just Security this week looking into precisely this question, and that article is of course linked in the description of this episode. We're lucky to have Nimrod on the podcast today to discuss these issues in greater detail. Nimrod, thanks for joining us. Hi, Evan. Thanks to be here. Before we get into all of the issues that you deal with in your piece, one area that you pointed out, and I know one in which you have special expertise, uh, where you see the Israeli government trying to make a change in things is in improving ties between Israel and Jordan. Can you elaborate on that point a little bit? Uh, first, we, we, we all remember that even the, in the previous uh, Israeli government, uh, whose policy on Jordan was very, very different and, and caused a lot of damage to the strategic relations between the two countries. Nonetheless, even in that government, the, the defense minister, uh, Benny Gantz, and foreign minister, uh, Gabi Ashkenazi, uh, were quite sensitive uh, to the importance of Jordan for Israeli security uh, and Jordanian stability. Um, and, and one of the major arguments that they brought to the table in blocking uh, the Netanyahu initiative of uh, major West Bank annexation was the devastating uh, consequences to Israeli-Jordanian relations and potentially to Jordan's internal stability. So you had guns uh, from that government uh, playing defense minister in this one. But the big change, of course, is between Netanyahu on the one hand uh, and Bennett and Lapid uh, on the other. And we've seen already in the first few days uh, of them in office, both had their uh, encounters with counterparts so to speak. I mean, Bennett is not a royalty, but Bennett met with the king and uh, Lapid met with his counterpart, with the foreign minister, and both brought to the table issues that are very important to Jordan, be it water, be it imports to the West Bank, and be it more sensitive issues on security. Um, And they really, I mean, we hear it from the Jordanians now. uh, It's a completely new open page. Um, Where there is residue, is with the Jordanian concern on what's going on in Jerusalem, uh, be it uh, Sheikh Jarrah evictions, Temple Mount uh, uh, provocations, um, and and here it is um, the Jordanian-American-Israeli triangle is at play in uh, gradually um, uh, uh, bringing about better understandings uh, of uh, what should and what should not be done. While we're talking about that triangle between Israel, Jordan, and the United States, uh, what are your takeaways from the meeting that took place between President Biden and King Abdullah in Washington earlier this week? Um, You know, most eyes were on what uh, President Biden said, because he did say a a few important things for uh, for, uh, the ears of uh, of his visitor, uh, King Abdullah, but of the region. Uh, at large. Uh, Jordan is an important friend and strategic ally, um, reiterating the U.S. commitment to the end game of a two-state solution um, and accentuating 
uh, uh, reiterating Jordan's centrality uh, in terms of uh, uh, um, uh, everything Muslim in Jerusalem, uh, as per the Israeli-Palestinian-Israeli-Jordanian uh, peace treaty, uh, the the Arab League approach, and the United States traditional position. But there was something that the visitor said um, that attracted my attention, uh, and that was. A key phrase uh, that he reiterated uh, in his meeting with the president, as well as the following day with Secretary Blinken. And that was something along the lines of, uh, Mr. President, we understand that we in the region uh, have to do the heavy lifting for you, and we are prepared to do that. What do you think he meant by that? Uh, I think that this is a reflection of a realization in the region uh, that if the, the pro-Western, those who depend on U.S. security, uh, on U.S. umbrella, on relations with the United States uh, for their stability, security, prosperity, um, if they want to keep the United States engaged in the region, they can no longer be passive. They have to uh, share the burden. And I think it reflects something that we found out uh, in recent uh, uh, round that we did in the region, in the Gulf, as well as in the more closer neighborhoods, uh, Jordan and Egypt, uh, and that is these countries are willing to engage in restoring stability and maybe something more substantial than just cease, stable ceasefire in the context of Gaza and the West Bank, in the context of Gaza, West Bank, Jerusalem, and Israel. Uh, these people are willing to engage, and they understand that if they don't do uh, uh, a, a fair amount of the of the heavy lifting, um, Washington has other priorities. I want to come back to the point that you're making about the U.S. priorities on this issue. But before we do that, you mentioned the Temple Mount before, and given the priority placed on improving Israel-Jordan relations, which you were just talking about earlier and which you wrote about in your piece. What do you think prompted the now-corrected statement from the Israeli Prime Minister's office over the weekend uh, that seemed to go against the Temple Mount status quo? Bennett's office saying uh, that he was thanking the public security minister and the police commissioner for uh, protecting the right of Jews to worship on the Temple Mount. I really don't know how it happened, uh, but I'm I'm happy to speculate uh, based on a precedent. Um, I want to remind you that when um, the uh, United Arab Emirates uh, announced the intention to normalize with Israel before the Abraham Accord was signed, there was a one-liner in that uh, press release that spelled. Um, freedom of worship for all on Temple Mount Haram Sharif, which is exactly what the Bennett office uh, tweeted and stirred this uh, minor storm. Uh, we checked with the Emiratis, where did that come from, and how come it disappeared from the Abraham Accord text itself? And the answer was, we were sure that freedom of worship for all is the right approach, is the right norm. We didn't realize 
that what sounds so beautiful is a gross violation of the historic status quo. Where the historic status quo was, Benjamin Netanyahu put it so specifically, the status quo is Muslims pray, others visit. Not freedom of worship for all. Um, so the Emiratis didn't know it, so they went for it in the initial press release. Once they were educated, it disappeared from the Abraham Accords. I believe that it was some author's error uh, somewhere in the prime minister's office, not realizing that what sounds so beautiful uh, 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 touches on a very, very sensitive issue. Hence, the quick correction. What do you make of the way the Temple Mount situation was handled? You mentioned the correction, and does this tell us anything about the Israeli government's attitude toward its relationship with Jordan and the United States, since uh, it was reported that Jordan and the Biden administration were involved in resolving this? Yes, we heard about a few phone calls from uh, Washington uh, to Jerusalem and to Tel Aviv. Uh, Jerusalem is the prime minister's office and foreign ministry. Tel Aviv is the Ministry of Defense. Um, that that played into it. Um, But yes, bottom line, um, I think that um, there is an unjustified inertia in perception of where Israel is um, in the wake of the transition from the Netanyahu 12 years uh, into the one month, five weeks of the Bennett-Lapid administration. Um, there, there, there's an assumption of an inertia, whereas there is a major break. Uh, it's, it's, it's a new world. Um, the, the, the flood of phone calls from Israeli ministers uh, uh, to uh, Abu Mazen, uh, the uh, new uh, communication between Israeli members of cabinet and Palestinian members of cabinet, the interaction with the Jordanians, all this did not exist for several years. Um, and certain steps that this this new government has taken, uh, be it on the uh, COVID cooperation, be it on water to Jordan, be it on imports from Jordan to the West Bank, uh, be it the statement of intent that are yet to be translated into substance. They are mostly uh, uh, banners and, and bumper stickers. But when uh, uh, when the prime minister who for the last 20 years was associated with the most aggressive approach of settlement expansion, uh, is making the following points. One, he turns to the settler community and he says, look, in anything that has to do with settlements, we must factor in the fact that there is a new administration in Washington. Two, he started to talk about strengthening the Palestinian Authority which is the exact opposite of what Netanyahu was doing in weakening it and weakening it and making it virtually incapable of functioning. Um, and he embraced a new concept. He calls it shrinking the conflict. Um, when, when you look around and, and you look for anybody who thinks, uh, anybody who is thinking about the process, um, you don't find many who believe that the two-state solution uh, is available anytime soon. And the real question, the, the real debate is among those who want to keep the door open for it and those who would like to have it shut. 
Of course, Prime Minister Bennett, as you alluded to, uh, was an early and vocal proponent of annexation. And of course, like you said, the two-state solution is not exactly around the corner. Uh, but what exactly does that terminology, I think comes from Mika Goodman, shrinking the conflict, mean uh, when it comes from Bennett? Exactly. Um, I don't think that uh, either the prime minister who is using this this phrase or the defense minister who started to use it uh, have a, a very clear picture of what they have in mind. But both of them asked their respective uh, teams to present them with menu of steps that translate the concept into concrete action plan. Uh, so both in MOD, in the Ministry of Defense, and the IDF, and in the Prime Minister's office, and some NGOs that were approached as well, are working on um, what does it take to shrink the conflict that is beyond some minor economic this and that. You don't shrink the conflict uh, by just improving the economy. It seems that the focus now is primarily on two lists. One list is what increases friction, undermines stability, and in my words, what are the provocations that must be avoided and stopped? Be it uh, settler violence, be it religious zealots on Temple Mount, or be it the, 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 the issue of evictions from uh, Sheikh Jarrah. How do you deal with each and every one of those? On the, on the, how do you stop the negatives? And the second list is what is the list of positives that empower the PA, that reduces friction between Israelis and Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, and uh, for those who believe in a two-state solution, keep the door open for that. And for those like Bennett, who speak about autonomy on steroids serves that ultimate objective. It sounds like there's some good news out of this government, but there are also some areas where confrontation between Israelis and Palestinians is still brewing. We have pending evictions in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan, upcoming public hearing on E1, the contentious uh, potential settlement east of Jerusalem, and so on and so on and so on. And, you know, I'm sure we could list off things all day. How do you expect the new government is going to handle all of those issues? I think we've got to be patient. I mean, there is a learning curve. Um, these, these three and the others, uh, which is Prime Minister, Minister of Defense and Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, have not run a government before. Um, they're learning to work with each other. Uh, for example, uh, the Minister of Defense is basically the boss of the lord of the territories. By international law, the king of the territories is the commander of the central command of the IDF. So Benny Gantz, as minister of defense, is his boss. Benny Gantz is not willing to shoulder responsibility alone for taking steps that empower the Palestinian Authority, that stop, for example, nightly incursions of the IDF into the major Palestinian population centers where the Palestinian security forces are supposed to operate, and stuff of that nature. So he wants to share responsibility with the prime minister and with the alternate prime minister, foreign minister. So they are still learning how to work with each other and how to address uh, 
uh, all these issues. A second factor is that the previous administration, the Netanyahu government, uh, has left a few time bombs on their table. And they've been exploding time after time. They had to dis dismantle each and every one, diffuse each one of them as it came, uh, uh, as, it, as, as the clock was, was ticking on it, be it the, the uh, flag march, the provocative flag march that was supposed to go inside uh, in, the, in the heart of Palestinian East Jerusalem, uh, uh, the Sheikh Jarrah evictions uh, issue, and, and quite a few of the others. We are in the early stage. They are only, what, five, six weeks into uh, their term. Uh, we are going to see hiccups. They're going to be two steps forward and one back. But the overall tra tra trajectory for now, for now, uh, looks uh, uh, promising. Again, don't get me wrong. The parity mechanism of this coalition is designed to make sure that neither side of the political divide that is comprise this coalition is going to run away uh, with, with, with initiatives that are uh, unacceptable to the other side of the aisle. Uh, so extreme initiatives, positive and negative, are out. So all eyes are on the in-between. And the in-between, I believe that for now, the trajectory is positive. Let's go now to the U.S.-Israel relationship. You wrote about in your article how the previous Israeli government adopted a policy that I think you described as uh, being a one-party policy when it came to the United States. So how is this government uh, deviating from that approach um, and why? Um, I believe that there is a consensus among all the heads of parties that are members of the current coalition and it goes beyond the three that we've already mentioned. Uh, all of them are concerned with the fact that the previous uh, government under Netanyahu um, uh, opted uh, for complete alliance with the Republican Party and the Republican president, uh, ignoring um, the, the, or, or undermining the historic bipartisan uh, status of, uh, of Israel in the United States, bipartisan support. Um, and this short-sighted approach of, uh, of allying themselves totally uh, with one party in the American system is something that uh, all leaders of, of, of the current Israeli coalition are determined to reverse. Uh, they want to restore good relations with the Democrats. They want to make sure that Israel is again uh, enjoys a bi bipartisan support. Uh, it's not an easy task, but they are determined to do it. I believe that they are driven. I, I will focus on on uh, on Bennett because he's today the most uh, interesting uh, character uh, in this play. Um, with Bennett, I believe it's a combination uh, of two factors that, that reinforce each other. One is the obvious the national interest, the long-term interest of the state of Israel. But there's another layer to it, as Bennett as the politician. Bennett at 49, see himself another 20 years in politics. He's not there just for the two years until he flips position with Yair Lapid and becomes foreign minister, and that's it. He sees himself as a prime minister running for prime ministership again and again and again. He lost his power base when he joined this coalition. 
He came in with six seats, which is very, very little, 5% of the Knesset. He lost those six seats because his base was the hardcore settler movement, and they felt that he betrayed them. And he is opening himself up for a new base, which is much more uh, secular, much more Tel Aviv, much more high-tech, much more younger generation, much, much less hardcore West Bank settlement annexation uh, types where, he, uh, where, 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 he, where, where his politics started. In that regard, the bipartisan approach, the improving relations with Democrats, changing dynamics vis-a-vis the Palestinians are all part of the same agenda. In this discussion about the U.S.-Israel relationship, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast the question of American priorities, not just thinking about this from the Israeli side. And so I'm curious what you see changing in that respect, if anything, uh, when it comes to Washington's calculations and the Biden administration's thinking, how is the U.S. approach on Israel moving in view of the new government and, uh, you know, coming out of the May crisis in Jerusalem and Gaza? I, I, I look at it, um, I, I will try to zoom in on it from the perspective of the forthcoming visit of, uh, of uh, Prime Minister Bennett uh, to Washington. Uh, as you know, in Israeli tradition, a prime minister is not a prime minister until he is received at the White House. So this is the, you know, the real inauguration. Uh, it's a formative moment, uh, especially for, for a prime minister for whom this is the first experience ever. Um, I believe that this visit will focus on two issues. Uh, Bennett will accentuate Iran, and the host will accentuate the Palestinian issue. I believe that both will find that what they expect of each other is not beyond the realm of possibility. I think that the Bennett message on Iran is going to be very different from the Netanyahu one. It is not that he loves the JCPOA, the Iran deal. Um, he shares the criticism of, of uh, the defense establishment of certain elements therein. Um, but, but that debate is over. Um, the, the approach that he uh, uh, seems to have embraced is um, either the U.S. gets back to it or it fails to get back to it. Whichever it is, it's not because of Israel. And our focus as Israel is on the morning after. When you Americans say that after the JCPOA, there will be an effort to reach a better and longer and stronger agreement, what do you mean? What happens in the morning after when we have we Israel have information that we share with you that Iran is violating its commitments? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What are we going to do? What are we jointly going to do? It's the morning after that he will focus on, and the modus of operand the, the mode of operation will be behind closed doors, no public uh, 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 arguments. Um, no joint session of Congress uh, speeches against the President of the United States, but rather a professional, serious, mature, discreet discussion behind closed doors. 
I believe that what we'll he will hear from the president, who I think would like that message, uh, will be, look, I'm not going to ask you to divide Jerusalem or resolve the refugee issue uh, or otherwise reach a permanent status agreement with the Palestinians uh, in the next year, two or three. I don't have time for it. You are not ready for it. The Palestinians are not ready for it. So I'm not going to ask you for that. But I am going to ask you for stability. And you're going to help me. And stability means to stop the provocations and to do the, 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 the constructive stuff that secures stability both on the West Bank and, and in Gaza. I don't expect the president to get into the details. That probably will be the job of uh, his uh, national security advisor or secretary of state or whatever. But the, the two-item agenda is an agenda that both can live with. There is no need for a fight. There's no need to spend political capital on getting there. They're not that far apart. Um, in for, for, from the outset, um, he, 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 so that one can anticipate uh, a, a very constructive dialogue and a constructive chapter thereafter. We've covered Israeli-Palestinian relations, Jordan, the Temple Mountain, Jerusalem settlements, now Iran and U.S.-Israel relations. Now that we've gotten the lighter stuff out of the way, I think I would be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't speak about the most consequential and substantive news out of Israel this week. What's your take on Ben and Jerry's? I find it a totally inflated, out of all proportion, silly issue. I thought that the Kaplow column today uh, did justice to it in putting it in the right uh, proportion. I, I will go even further, and I will be more blunt. I suspect that some of the Israeli leaders who are hyping this issue are being very cynical. I don't think that this is anti-Semitism. I don't think they think it is terrorism. But I think they found something that it is easy to rally around. So why not? I don't like it. I don't like cynicism, that degree of cynicism in politics. We've had too much of it in the last 12 years, especially in the last three, four. And I was hoping that they will bring a different culture into the political discourse and will not seize upon a cheap shot to score points. I'm afraid that that's what we've seen. And it's also a distraction from other more serious issues that have come up in recent days. Nimrod, thank you for taking the time to share your expertise on this wide range of topics. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we will be linking your article on Just Security in the description of this podcast, and I encourage everyone to take the time to read it. To our listeners, Thanks for tuning in again to this episode of Israel Policy Pod. Until our next episode, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.